Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. Welcome along for a fantastic discussion today with a great guest who I'll introduce in just a second. It's been a busy November and into December at the REC. We had a fantastic awards night on the 25th of November. You can check out all the winners online on the REC website. Now, really great to get people back together again after such a long period. And and so good to see some old friends and new of the REC having a really good time and celebrating the difference our industry can make. And I'm particularly pleased to welcome the Minister for Employment along as our special guest. Just goes to show how the status of the industry has grown over the last couple of years. Other things coming from the REC at the moment? Well, we had our jobs recovery tracker out on the 3rd of December, followed by our report on jobs. That's our industry billings data for November on the 9th of December. So if you want all the latest data from the REC, have a look at that monitoring data. But do also look out going forward in the next few days for our annual industry trend survey, which will be out before Christmas. If you need something to give to a friend or a loved one, It'll make an excellent Christmas present and it'll also help you do your business planning for the next few months. One other thing to mention on our side recently produced is the guidance we've done with the CDEI. Now, you may not know the CDEI. That's the Centre for Data Ethics and Innovation. They're all about how we use AI and they're really interested in AI and how it's used in recruitment and how we keep that process fair to people, both the candidates and clients. There's some good guidance that we've worked together with them on that came out on the 6th of December. So that's worth a look as well. And of course, at the moment, you'll be getting a phone call or an approach from your REC account manager as we look to uh, renew members going into 2022. There's lots of exciting uh, stuff coming from the REC next year. So do enjoy that chat and uh, we can uh, make sure that uh, we keep delivering for you and all REC members going through the next year. Now, let's... uh, turn to our guest for today. I'm delighted to welcome Amanda Fawn of F1 to the REC podcast. Amanda, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, F1's a great business, been an REC member for a long time. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the business? Yes, so we've been a member since we set the business up in 2004. We're a marketing, communications and sports marketing expert, recruitment and search consultancy. And we work across um, all age groups, all demographics, across global brands, across digital marketing, PR, corporate affairs, social, ESG, and then sports marketing. Now, one of the things I know about F1, just looking at, I know about your involvement in No Turning Back 2020, and you're also involved in returnerships. There's a lot of commercially focused but social uh, thinking in in what you do at the business. Tell us a little bit about that and why it's important to you. So ever since we started, we've always been sort of disruptors, I guess, the business. I was, at the time, a single mother with two small children, and I knew that I had to run a business that was was flexible. So we had a business model where all of our consultants were able to work remotely two days a week. So we we were sort of trailblazers at the time, trying to get our clients to look at people on less than five days a week was a, was a lot more challenging. So we've always had a sort of slightly disruptive side to what we were doing. We've always looked at the way of work and sort of asked questions about why it's always been five days a week, you know, nine working hours, seven, eight working hours, hours working a day. 
So we returners and women, particularly the sector we work in, is quite female dominated at the bottom and in the middle. But there has been sort of a lack of female role models right at the top of the marketing um, and comms sector. That that is changing now. We've been going for um, eighteen years, and I like to think we've um, influenced some of that. The other side is the lack of representation by Black, Asian, minority, ethnic communities in the marketing communications, particularly in the sports sector. So when we won the contract for Lloyd's banking group for the London 2012, when they were the uh, local top tier sponsors, we got very heavily involved very quickly in the sports marketing sector. And it became very apparent that was a, a sector that was very underrepresented by Black, Asian, minority, ethnic communities and there was very little social mobility. So really for the last 18 years, we've always focused on creating some social change inside the work that we do for our clients. And I think that's really interesting. And and of course, no turning back 2020 is a big part of your contribution on the Asian Black and Minority Ethnic piece. And I know you work with uh, Adrian Walcott, another friend of the REC. In fact, he was a, a judge for our awards the other week in delivering that. And this is something I, I kind of wanted to use our chance of having a chat today just to dig down on a little bit, because if we think about our industry, and actually it reflects the minister's comments at our awards, we have enormous potential to disrupt the labour market and yeah. to really improve the diversity and uh, breadth of people who are coming into industries like the one, the marketing that you're you're serving, if we get it right. So there's definitely something there in terms of how can we make a difference? So let's bring all this back to, to kind of F1. How do you make sure in your business that the pipeline you're working with is sufficiently diverse how have you had to develop what you're doing just to make sure that that you're meeting your goals on that yeah so adrian and i adrian actually was a candidate of um, f1s and i've known him for a very long time and he was in his marketing career and getting very disillusioned with the fact he couldn't see people that looked like him within marketing um, events that he went to so he was at the time considering setting up his own business, which is what he's gone to do with his brands for values. But at the time, this is back in 2016, we decided that we would actually start to do something about it because the pipeline of diverse talent from BME communities just really wasn't coming in as hard and fast as it should have been into our sector back then five years ago. So we co-founded what was then called BAME 2020, which we've now renamed No Turning Back 2020, which is which is trademarked. And us having co-founded that and being part of the engine driving change through No Turning Back has enabled F1 to access far more diverse communities than perhaps we would have done if we hadn't put our muscle um, and, and power behind the No Turning Back campaign. So No Turning Back has got two main focuses. One is to get 20% of the marketing comm sector to come from the Black, Asian, minority ethnic communities and to keep that 20% in until they reach the very top roles. So we have our talent attraction programmes and we have our talent retention programmes. Now, for the last couple of years, we've been really focusing on talent attraction. So F1 sort of powers the outreach programme. So we have a schools and college outreach programme that goes out across the UK 
to colleges and schools and universities that can demonstrate they have they have to have four key criteria 75% from black asian minority ethnic communities 75% from state school state school educated then over 35% uh, first generation university and 35% of their students on free school meals and that way we're tackling the social mobility piece as well as the minority ethnic community piece so we are actually creating our own pipeline because we believed and um, this is something that Adrian and I believed was that there wasn't enough influencing going on early enough with young people about coming into the great careers that the marketing comms and sports marketing sector can give. And there's so much competition for talent. And this was five years ago, way before what's happening now in the market, which is a you know pretty much a talent crisis across a lot of sectors. So we set about creating the, the pipeline ourselves. And I think too many recruiters just sort of wait for the pipeline to, to emerge rather than actually going out there into the sector that you represent and actually influencing talent to come into that sector. So that's the outreach programme. We have this year alone, we're probably going to reach out to over 2,000 18 to 23 year olds through that network. Um, we have a direct to consumer digital campaign that's at the moment taking place on TikTok and Instagram and, 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 and Facebook. And then we've created our own early years job zone on the No Turning Back website, which is free to advertise for all any company that has an early years career role whether that's an apprenticeship obviously it has to be paid work placement or entry level role free to advertise up to 35,000 and organizations are encouraged all of the F1 clients advertise on there because we don't do too much entry level recruitment because a lot of our clients do their own recruitment so those are two campaigns that F1, we, we have the engine room behind those those two, and we contribute to the salaries of the people that run both those uh, those programmes. This year, or coming into 2022, we're going to be focusing on retention. So we're running our own qualitative and quantitative insights into why we lose talent uh, from a BME, for BME communities between five to eight years into their career. So we take that very seriously. We can't be, as an organisation, welcoming people from diverse communities into the sector if they're not staying in the sector and meeting our other objective, which is staying in until they reach the very top roles. Now, if you can have those conversations with your clients, and we work with leading marketing and communications and sports marketing agencies, we work with rights holders, national governing bodies, as well as in-house brands with their marketing and comms teams, as well as some of the premiership football clubs. Now, all of them need to have more diversity inside their marketing and communications teams. And we're part of the problem if we keep moving the same people around the sector section sector but we're part of the solution if we can go to them and say well actually if you use f1 and you become a partner to no turning back and you use our returnership returners program as well you're going to be accessing more diverse talent and not only are we going to be able to introduce you to more diverse talent, we're going to also be able to help you advise how to keep that talent and how to nurture it and let it thrive until it reaches the very top role. So I guess you could say that we're creating our own future as well by investing in 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 helping our clients access this talent, because by doing what we're doing, we're making sure we're future proofing F1 as a business into the future.
I think that's really interesting, Amanda, because you finished on a on a sharply commercial point. And I think this is, if I see one thing changing in my discussions with recruit leaders around the country, it's the move of this question of inclusion and diversity from something we do as part of our social commitment, which is very valuable and very important, to something which is both that and commercially super important to us. Now, obviously, there's a there's a pretty clear tightening around candidate supply that every REC member has been seeing through this year that will help drive that. But I do also think there's something more fundamental and long term if you look at, at the sharpness of focus on inclusion that's been brought to people thinking in businesses since for instance, the uh, the death of George Floyd last year. So there's there's definitely a moment here where businesses are thinking about this, but you put your finger on something that I think is quite important, and that's that retention question. Certainly, I have seen businesses where that commitment to improving inclusion, improving diversity is there, but people don't stick. And there's something about what happens in the company, culture, expectations of the client. So presumably when you're talking to clients, one of the conversations you have to have relatively often with them, Amanda, is um, you're going to need to change how you do things. Is that a difficult discussion to have with people? How do you land that point with people? Because I think it's a bit of a secret sauce for us in the industry as well, which is we all want to be in that true consultant position. And, And you've just described how F1 has got there how do you handle that kind of client discussion about that you know this is commercial you are going to have to change some of what you're doing but you know we're we'll be able to help you do that well I think the bit that comes possibly before that is that we've been working towards our B Corp status for the last two years and I am a passionate believer in progressive capitalism and I just don't think that capitalism in its current stance is is, is sustainable uh, globally anymore I think that we all need to be putting our commercial goals alongside social change, sustainability, in order to have you know a fair and more equitable world. And the two things go hand in hand. I've always believed you can be a highly commercial business as well as doing good in the world. So we're about to get our B Corp status. We're incredibly proud the journey that we've been through. It is an, an amazingly robust process. And uh, part of becoming a B Corp really does mean that you can have, you can ignite these discussions straight away. We're in very good company with lots of other British businesses that are already B Corps and, and on the journey to become a B Corp. So that conversation around the being commercial and doing good in the world, looking at your staff and making sure that they truly represent the communities that you serve is a very, very, very easy conversation to have when you're a B Corp. I think um, the retention piece is 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 multi-layered and very, very complicated, and there isn't an easy solution to it. What we do know is that just changing the look and feel of your organisation is not necessarily going to be sustainable unless you make systemic changes inside the organisation. And you've already spoken to Adrian about the culture index that he runs. We're just about to run another culture index in the creative industries to specifically look at the values and we all know that people thrive and and do well in organizations where their values aligned with the leadership values and the and the organization's values and you know that does start at the top 
of organisations. I mentioned earlier that we're do, we've done some very interesting quantitative uh, and qualitative insights. When we started No Turning Back, started with a group of very motivated and ambitious young ambassadors who were about one to five years into their careers. And we've been back to all of them five years later to find out what they're doing now and for them to give us their insights into why they've stayed in the sector or if they have moved from the sector, what's motivated them to move. And, you know, a couple of without going into too much detail about some of our findings, because we'll be publishing those next year and going into our sort of activation side of uh, of advising clients and companies how to keep the staff that they've um, worked so hard to uh, attract to their organisations. I mean, there does need to be a lot of more transparency around things like how to get a pay rise and how to get promoted. And all of these things, if you come from certain backgrounds, our, 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 our sector is middle class, white, largely private educated. There are there are ways of moving around an organisation that don't always happen in appraisals and happen in in, um, in more formal surroundings. And some of these ways of, of, of working and ways of behaving in organisations need to be taught. They need to be learned. If you come from a different social background and you come from a different educational background you're not necessarily going to be brought up within the same culture and it's not a level playing field and people need to be taught how to navigate organizations what happens you know inside and outside um, of meetings so the feedback some of the feedback we've been given is is much fairer transparency around promotions and salary reviews and even as basic as really teaching uh, people from different backgrounds to the to the dominant in your organization negotiation skills i mean we find it with the returners program that we run the one key module and we find this with young people from minority ethnic backgrounds that come into the sector they need real help on negotiation skills um, if we are putting them into the same situation as our current employees around salary salaries and appraisals so more transparency, more guidance, um, more empathy, more understanding about what goes on inside your organisations that doesn't necessarily happen um, in formal settings. So I could go on, but there are other examples of things that we know are, are not that difficult to sort, but are almost hidden inside organisations as to how you navigate your way through to get that promotion that you want, get that sponsorship that you want, get that support that you want in order to get on in an organisation. And I think sometimes people just get so tired of having to work a system that isn't actually very fair, that they just, they, they, they'd rather leave an organisation than try to have to keep navigating their way um, through that. You see people from diverse backgrounds often have side hustles. I mean, I hadn't heard of the word side hustle even seven years ago. Now it is a completely normal figure of speech. These Gen Z, they often have side hustles. And one of the reasons they have side hustles is because they don't want to rely on their employer to necessarily be giving them the promotion and the extra bonus or money beyond their salary. So they will often have side hustles. They're often create have a side hustle that they will leap into and as run as their own business after two or two or three years. So I think you've got um, a generation Z coming 
through the system as well that is not is not nearly as dependent or doesn't want to be as dependent on a sort of corporate hierarchical system because they just won't don't want to have wait to wait as long and to play the the, the game in inverted commas like their uh, predecessors have i think that's really interesting you know just listening to you over the last few minutes amanda there's some clear themes here aren't there ones about don't as recruitment firms don't be passive recipients you know we can we can diversify what we're doing in terms of thinking about where we're drawing our candidates from where our resourcing is drawing candidates from and we can advise clients on how to recruit recruit in a more inclusive way but actually get upstream on that you know actively own the talent pool for the sectors that you're serving you you talked about your outreach into schools i think that's absolutely right make sure that we're clear about the link with the commercials and and be willing to to challenge people about what goes clients about what goes on in their own business in terms of particularly that point about i often talk about making the implicit explicit and you know i have a piece that I've done for leadership groups in the past, which reflects on my experience as someone who grew up at least in my younger years as a, as a kind of white working class boy who, you know, I'm the, I'm the first member of my family to go away to university, for instance. And I reflect now, even as a, as, as a kind of a white man that on all of the things I just didn't know, uh, that I assumed other uh, others around me did know. And I think that piece around if we're running organisations to run them fairly, we have to both make how things work explicit. And I think you'd be very clear on that and then make sure that they are fair so that we know how we're assessing people who are coming from different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of this feels just as relevant to us as an industry in terms of what we do internally in our own businesses as it does to supporting clients and a you know point i've often made is you know we have to more own lawn before we uh, before we start helping out everyone else are there other things you think the industry could be doing just to make sure we are delivering in our own businesses well that's a really 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 good point because we have a strap line at f1 and uh, we just launched a new website and in the run up to the launch of it we 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 said <laughs> inclusion starts at home and we've had to have a really good long look at ourselves as a business we're a small business we have 10 consultants and support as a support team and our team is now spans i think 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and a couple in their early 60s now. We are female heavy uh, at the top. We have first generation university. We have non-graduates. We have representative from Black, Asian, minority ethnic communities. We have disability. I think we looked at all the protected characteristics and we're, we're, we're pretty good on most of them, but we knew that we had to sort our own backyard out first before we could actually be genuinely and um, advising our own clients and and it's made a huge difference to us being able to pitch to get on to preferred supplier agreements because one of the very first questions we're asked every single time is tell us about the diversity of your own team and and frankly these discussions around ED&I are very difficult to have with clients unless you've got your own team sorted first and that is not easy because our own sector is pretty 
middle class white. And I think as a sector, we need to do a lot more to encourage um, different demographics and, and different people from different socioeconomic backgrounds to look at recruitment as a profession, because we all know that it's one of those professions that is pretty future proofed that people are always going to need um, need talent. Whenever I've sat next to a CEO anywhere, I've always said, what's the thing that keeps you awake at night? And it's always, it's people. We also know it's a really flexible career as well. It's, you know, I've been doing this, I've been in this, in this sector since I was 18. I mean, I'm, you know, coming into my fourth decade in the sector and it's been able to flex with the demands of my home life, personal life. And I've been able to carve a, you know, professional career out of it. And it's one of those careers that the actually the older you get, the more sage you get, the more experience you get, the more the more wise you get. And it's I think you've always been pretty wise, Amanda. <laughs> well, it's also one that's changing, and that's what's so exciting. But with, uh, with you know, we talked about AI and you know technology, and it's one that's changing. You have to have your finger on the pulse. You have to have a point of view. So I think that as an as a sector. It's a it's a really attractive sector to come into as a career, but we've got to work very hard because I know that if I walked into some of our careers talks with uh, schools and colleges where the dominant uh, 75% will be from black, Asian, minority, ethnic communities, for example, and lower socioeconomic communities, I know those kids will be aspiring to be doctors, lawyers, management consultants, financial services sector. We have to work hard to get them interested in the marketing and communications and sports marketing sector. So we have to work as hard to attract that talent to look at the recruitment um, sector. But, you know, it's a fantastic career. And my goodness me, I know you've got some amazing role models from all your members. So I think if we came together as an industry, we could really make sure that we get we keep getting great, but much more diverse talent into the sector because we all know it's a you know we're a nation of shopkeepers there are huge recruitment consultants of course multinationals but there are also a lot that are run by owner managers that have probably less than 10 employees and i think the in all of that i think it's that principle of look at the difference that we can make it as an industry if we get it right just shines through it's good this is going to be an enormous priority for the rec as we recover from everything that's going on and you, know, you mentioned earlier that we we're talking to Adrian Walcott about some of his ideas I, I I think the the work that our diversity ambassadors have started to do I think is also just beginning to lay to to lay the platform for the REC to be a lot more forthright on these issues going forward so and I think some of that is profiling the great work businesses like yours are doing and have done uh, Amanda because I think the industry as a whole has a really great story to tell of where it is making a difference so thank you for joining us today Amanda it's been really great to 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 hear from you and about all the fantastic work you you're doing via F1 but also with the kind of the linked programs no turning back 2020 the uh and the returnership work Thank you. And uh, a big thank you from us for being such huge support during the last uh, tumultuous uh, 22 months. Well, thank you for that, Amanda. And it you know it means an awful lot for us. The, uh, it, one of the great joys of being the REC Chief Exec is it's a genuinely purpose-led organisation and you see the mm-hmm. difference that members are making. And, and you know, it gets you out of bed every morning to support that work. Although I did struggle a bit on the Friday morning after the awards. 
the REC finance director was not at the awards and decided to uh, schedule the audit committee for the morning after the awards. So I was not my sparkling best. Let's uh, <laughs> let's put it that way. Thank you again for joining us, Amanda. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join me for another episode soon, and check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, so subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.